RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Ian Taplin, strength conditioning coach with Richmond RFC and with Arite Performance. Uh, really great interview, um, really goes into into detail and tons of stuff and, and some great kind of discussion around a few different issues. So really think you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi Ian, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Uh, let's start as we always do and you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, some of the team sports you work with. Cool, cheers Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Um, so my background is I'm a Probably sort of an, an older SNC coach, I guess, is there is when I when I sort of decided I wanted to do this. There wasn't really a, a clear progression path, or or it wasn't a career path as it is today, where people you know decide to go study SNC and have that that sort of progression from university. And so I I went to Loughborough. Um, I knew I wanted to be involved in sport. I knew I wasn't good enough to be in sport. So coaching was always the the vehicle that I saw myself getting in into that realm. Um, so I graduated from Loughborough in '96. Uh, did a did a masters in, in sociology and sports management, as that was the area that was like quite interesting to me in terms of human beings. It's always been the thing that sort of interested me most with working with with players. Um, and from there, I went into teaching, um, and then I was still trying to find a route into to coaching SNC. So I was, I was doing lots of sports coaching. Um, and physical stuff with with people, you know, working in gyms, that sort of thing. Uh, and eventually, I, I went into teaching, so I started lecturing in in sports science at an FE college, and then did that for two or three years and really enjoyed it. But I was like, I need to just take a take a punt here. How am I going to get in? Who do you know? Because it was such a particularly rugby being my sport was such a new field at that time. Um, you know, how did you get into professional sport if you didn't know anyone? Um, and I, I saw a job at the RFU as a development officer. I got that. And from that, literally made some connections, met some people. Someone offered me some a guy I worked with was like, oh, "I've got you know Richmond uh, uh, looking for an SNC coach." You know, and I literally just trained with him. We just worked out together because we worked together. And he was like, "Yeah, I think you'd be quite a cool fit for them." Uh, and went down there, and effectively that's how my SNC SNC career got started. Uh, so I did four years with Richmond. I then ended up at London Irish for two seasons, working in the uh, in the academy there, uh, and then went to Wasps and spent 11 years at Wasps. At the same time, I did a bit more consulting with uh, London Scottish, so I crossed over from Richmond to Scottish, which was always an interesting conversation. Um, and then did a little, little bit of consultancy, did 11 years with Wasps, went through um, the whole sort of structure in terms of academy, did some uh, th- uh, three seasons with the first team, and then finished off as performance manager uh, in the academy after the, the move up to Coventry, and then left there at the end of this year and end of last season. Sorry, and um, currently working for a retail performance with my good friend Tom Farrow. Cool, yeah. So tons, tons of experience, and uh, I was going to bring it up at some point, but I mean, you've touched on you know working 
overseeing the development of the academy. So what's your approach to developing young players? Uh, yeah, so it's always a very interesting one because there's always a rush to get people to that end point. So, you know, and people are always making, you're always making judgments of these kids. Oh, he's not big enough, he's strong enough, he's not fast enough. Uh, because largely they're being compared to the end product of a full-grown professional rugby player who could have 10 years of full-time training. And it's, you know, it's a very difficult comparison to make. So it's always trying to temper people's sort of judgments of of young players in terms of, of what they are. So my philosophy has always been very much, let's let's try and develop them athletically as, as well as we can. Let's not try and rush things because they're growing and changing and there's so much stuff going on, you know, psychologically as well as physically. Um, and just give them time. The key thing with young people and young players is you've got to give them time. Um, and, you know, it's not rocket science when you get an 18-year-old kid in his, in a senior academy and they go, well, he's not, he's not ready. Well, yeah, that's, that's because he's an 18 year old kid he's just come out of school he's probably not ready for you know premiership rugby um you know there's always the outliers who are um or by necessity get chucked in but you know the vast majority need that time to develop physically but more importantly tactically and, and technically um in the right way to actually be able to you know progress into those professional ranks because it's it's a difficult thing to do to become a you know elite level sportsman so you've got to you've got to really give them time and you've got to nurture them within that time um in terms of what they actually need um to be successful so i think that's the, the key thing is like not trying to force things into the into those young players to to rush their development actually give them the time to develop uh so they can actually have a long career rather than you know smashing weights into them because they they need they all need to be bigger apparently um you know so just you know let them grow let them grow they will grow and funnily enough they go oh look he's got really big now and he's he's, he's really good he's really strong he's moving really well so yeah because you've just given him the time rather than trying to make it happen tomorrow and that's the whole thing is, you know they might need two three years depending on the position to be even anywhere any anywhere near um and it's just actually persevering with them and accepting like you know some of these kids could be a five-year project and obviously for professional sport that's not necessarily what people want to hear because they need results on a Saturday yeah no I agree I think sometimes we fall into the problem of sort of the self-fulfilling prophecy where you see you compare all the young kids as they come in and kind of you've already already decided how they're going to succeed but you can't you can't really yeah. tell you've got to give them all the best opportunity to to develop over that time like you said and and sometimes it's surprising who actually does come through. Um, yeah, there's, there's always loads of kids that you look at, and you can't help it because we're human beings, we have eyes, and the first thing we notice is like, wow, he looks massive, he looks really athletic, and 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 what it's a natural thing because that's your you're assessing them from a physical perspective that you're going to be drawn to that. So it's taking that backward step and going, okay, let's have a look at the other qualities that they might need to be to be in the sport. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I can think of a player we, we were speaking about a couple of weeks ago, actually, but I won't, I won't mention his name, but there's, there's some boys who are kind of almost put us out of a job because in the gym, they're not, you know, not necessarily the top lifters or the most explosive, but, you know, they've got something on the rugby pitch and uh, it's not, it's not that um, S&C isn't important. It's just that can help make them better as a better athlete on the pitch. Um, sometimes people think you, you pick the team based on their lifting stats, but you can, you can never do that, can you? No, and I think that's that's part of the sort of the way where professional sport and SNC is has gone. It's people we've got some we've got so much data and we're so data heavy, uh, and you know and numbers are 
really nice to look at because they can give you potentially from an SC perspective if you look at strength numbers it, you know it, it validates what you're doing and there's a lot of pressure on SNC coaches to validate what you're doing in terms of oh look I've made them stronger I've made them fitter therefore I shouldn't be getting fired if we're not winning um, and you know it's, it shouldn't really be about that it should be about making sure you're preparing them for the demands of the sport and being able to be successful at that um, and you know how much you squat or bench or push or pull or whatever will have an effect but it's not the key determining factor you know what we talk about this a lot in um with with, with tom and myself about you know the best players are the best players um and the physical qualities that you develop with them are to support them in being the best players you know you look at most of those most of the top end players they're all they're all fantastic actual technical tactical players and some of them you look at them physically and go wow how has how has that happened because they're not necessarily physically tearing up trees but because they're technically tactically so astute and if you're up you know, bringing up their physical aspects all the time they're getting better and better so it's just that you know the physical stuff is very easy to measure and that's why it's quite easy to hang your hat on and go look we've made you know this kid's really strong really powerful and that definitely gets kids through the door um, and it's actually being able to step back over some variables that we can't really measure that accurately and we just need to give them time. Yeah. And just out of interest with your experience with um, you know, developing players, what do you think is kind of a limitation that they have? Is it is it we don't have enough time to kind of develop them physically or is it some of them get in that kind of trap where they're in between senior team and an A team, so to speak, and they don't get enough game time to develop that tactical technical uh yeah i think, I think it's it's individual basis that is dependent on 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 the player you know some some guys need clearly physical development but part of that physical development mean might be that they just need to grow so you, you know there's not you can't really rush you can't really change that that's <laughs> going to happen when the body says they're ready to grow so you might go look he is a bit small and we can keep training him but there's no point overly forcing the training from a physical aspect because it's just Things aren't happening happening chemically, which mean it's ready to really kick off. So you keep working on those components, and you, you know a lot of times you don't work what their strengths are. We focus on what they can't do, and sometimes like, well, what's their point of difference? What is their X factor? What's the thing that sets them apart? You know, it could be you know speed or whatever. So let's really get them. Let's work on that as well. Let's yeah. really focus on that and build that aspect up, so that becomes a real super strength. And working on the things they can't do. You know, some kids might be physically absolute demons, and therefore you go, well, okay. That's that's your super quality, but you can't pass or catch. So we really need to address that. And it's just about marrying up what they need at various times, I think. Um, so that would be that. You know, that's the key thing. And that that gap between when they sign at 18 and trying to break in is is tough because squads, particularly in the Premiership, are getting stronger in terms of you know being able to get players in from abroad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and the financial pressure of staying in the Premiership. So how those young kids actually get opportunities to play. Uh, is clearly important because you know working in the championship you can see that this is a tough league um, and there are a lot of 18, 19 year old kids who struggle to get into many of the championship teams on a regular basis because there's a lot of good players down here so you know whose responsibility is it then from that age group in terms of giving them playing time because you know guys in the championship's job is on the line as well so it's a very difficult development sort of conundrum in terms of how do you give those players the opportunity to actually play um yeah i agree and, <laughs> and um like what you said is 
obviously you always want to work on someone's weakness but you don't you don't want to do it to a point that it takes away their strengths like you know if it's someone who's small but they're explosive and dynamic and all you do is hypertrophy training and they end up you know being slow and losing that point of difference then you've, you've ruined their career so you, like you say you've got to keep focusing on their strengths as well so it's really good advice yeah it's, it's also looking at it in, in context obviously there's so much analysis and you know people looking at data looking at stats and talking about momentum but a lot of it isn't isn't looked at in context so you know people go oh look his momentum scores like you know it's really high so does he win collisions does he win contacts does he actually produce you know quick ball at rucks and that's the this place of marrying up the actual okay this is the data of you know his his momentum score is 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 poor let's say but he actually breaks contract because he's really awkward or he's actually evasive and, and and whatever and he's able to actually get you over the gain line is actually looking at the outcome on the performance on the field rather than the numbers that you think the the metric is is telling you actually having it in context so i always look at you know when people say oh this guy's you know he's a he's got a great momentum score he's really big and powerful so okay well let's have a look at does he actually win collisions because that's actually what he has to do if that's his role as a as a ball carrying you know type five forward or whatever yeah definitely and talking about you know numbers and, and gym scores and things earlier and um often I think a lot of rugby renegade sort of followers will know that we understand that strength is hugely important, but you get to that diminishing returns point where you need to start focusing more on power. So what would you say is kind of strong enough for a rugby player before they start focusing more heavily on, on power development? Yeah, I think um, the key thing is being, being you know, availability is the best availability. And that's what I see a lot of the strength work for it's obviously to enhance performance but also to protect performance so if people are, are durable and robust because people often associate strength work with you know you, you bench your squat you, you're pushing your rdl potentially into the right we get them strong in those core lifts but it's all the other stuff around it which actually keeps you on the field that that's still strength work um so being you know looking at yeah we want people to be able to squat you know good numbers and push good numbers etc but are we doing the work around that that actually makes them available? Because it's no good someone having a fantastic squat on a bench, but they're constantly injured because they haven't worked the other muscle groups or the actual context of what they needed to to do on the pitch isn't isn't being protected. So you know the way the way we approach things, we um, you know with, with the guys at Richmond and the girls at Richmond, we you know in season we're always we're all doing power work in terms of you know we do lots of jumps. Uh, I think that's the best way of our guys and girls developing force um uh we lift you know we lift as much as we can we, we don't go maximal um at, at very many points through the season just because we don't think we need to lift super heavy to actually still get the strength of strength effects that we need to see on the field um so we will you know we won't be lifting singles or doubles at all through the year uh we use we use um velocity based approach in many cases um, you know to look at the bar speed and the players have bought into that understanding why we're not working at max max loads and why we're trying to move the bar quickly and how working at a different bar speed is having a different strength effect um, and we've, we've seen pretty good returns in that in terms of think you know training sub maximally particularly in the season can still keep you strong um, and actually get you stronger in, in many cases so it's that you know people often like to feel a lot of weight on the bar psychologically but sometimes it's actually it's not developing the, the property and, and what you want it's 
potentially just making you tired for your performance on a Saturday. So it's trying to understand what are we what are we training them for, which is to play rugby on the Saturday and be successful, um, and making them see why we're trying to train them in a particular way. So we do a lot of submaximal lifting. Um, you know, we've got we've got lots of guys who need to be a lot stronger, um, but it's you can't sacrifice chasing strength numbers for you know for everything so you have to factor in that if we're smashing them four or five times a week with weights lifting really heavy it's potentially going to have a negative effect on what we're actually preparing them to do so it's just balancing that up and accepting it might take a bit of time yeah that, that's my experience as well um you know you can you can get a lot stronger lifting sub maximally i think it's often a mistake young sort of strength coaches make when they've come out of uni and they've seen all the research saying you know for strength you've got to lift over 80 percent one rm and you know uh close to failure but it's 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 not necessary like once you've experienced some maximal lifting you see that boys can make progress and and like you say they're still fresh to perform on a saturday then it's a it's a no-brainer really um now i should have asked you this question earlier on because we've covered quite a lot already but um what's your kind of overall strength and conditioning philosophy uh i'm very much a, a movement focused sort of coach so you know, strength and conditioning, it's a funny title because it only covers two things. Um, you know, uh, anyway, you know, I've always been fascinated by speed. I think people moving quickly, like, it's just blows your mind when you see people who can really, really run. Um, and, and that's the, the biggest point of difference, I feel, for, you know, high-end performers is from a physical perspective is that they have speed. You know, there's very few field sport players, particularly in, in you know, the more attacking positions who don't have speed speed is the biggest thing that puts players buys them time doesn't it you can make a you can make a slightly poor decision but if you've got a bit of speed you can get out of it and and that's the property that i like to develop the most so everything in my head is leading towards trying to make them quicker because i think that's the and that's any position that's the key thing those are those milliseconds in games that that change change things for you so like you know the example that's brought to mind is like on Saturday we had a tired prop who sprinted 60 meters to stay on the inside to try to make to force the player produce the skill and they, they messed up the skill. Now if he hadn't been there sprinting and being confident as a tire to sprint 60 meters, they score and that that those are the moments that change the game. So for me that's the biggest transfer into the game is make players quick and able to cope with producing lots of quick quick quicker. Uh, quick movements and efforts in a game, that's what will potentially alter the scoreline more than anything else. So making sure that they're actually fast, understand why they're getting fast, how to get fast. Um, and I think your general fitness levels, how we actually how we actually get players fit. I think very often we, we, we get people tired. We don't necessarily develop the actual energy system qualities. Uh, and I think that's, that's the key thing, particularly when you have professional sports teams you have a lot of time and there's that pressure to maybe do more than you need to do and players like to feel they've had a you know throwing up in a bin session isn't necessarily <laughs> what's actually going to produce the best results and it's you know you've got to build up that confidence in yourself as a coach to go you know we don't actually have to flog flog you to actually make you fitter and ultimately help you produce you know the performances you want on the pitch so yeah for me it's all about movement how people move efficiency of movement and you know, speed and fitness—that's what interests me. Strength's strength's nice because it's it's easy to measure and it looks good, and you know, people look good in a t-shirt. But for me, it's about people moving quick and being fit. That's the those are where I sort of 
hang my hat on the uh, on the different components really yeah definitely it makes a lot of sense and and like i say strength's important but you know ultimately what strength developing you, you want to use strength to develop that speed on the pitch and and yeah, robustness think- to you know maintain you know fitness as well and um, everyone everyone likes to be more athletic you know every, you know you know props want to be able to move around and sidestep and and they need to and if you you know you can yeah they've got to focus more on on certain different aspects of strength training you know they've got to be able to stay in the fight in the scrummage need the isometric strength you know and work on that but they also need to be able to sprint back at various times or, or carry carry at pace so developing those properties and it's a huge confidence thing for a player think oh, i've actually got a little bit if i need to i can put the toe down and there's going to be something there yeah yeah and also on your last point um i mean we've both worked in the championship and the premiership in you know half uh, part-time and, and full-time environments and I, and I agree with you said sometimes because premiership sides and some of the championship sides now obviously are, are full-time they kind of think oh we've got to train from nine till five and like you say you just you just build up fatigue then um you're better off you know, training for short periods intensely and then the rest of the time is so you can recover effectively so you can then repeat that again and get better not just not just flog a, a dead horse so to speak yeah absolutely I mean and it's the monotony of it as well because you know it's a it's a long old season and if you're turning up every day or four days a week and it's, it's days are dragged out because people feel they need to drag the days out to keep people there and, and have that whole oh you'll be full time so we've got to make fill the day out it's like well you know how quick could you get the day done how could you how quickly could you get everything done get people away get them not thinking about rugby for a few extra hours um challenge their brains in different ways and that you know that i think is the is the challenge of of professional sport now is like you know we've become very science-based and maybe lost touch a little bit with the humanistic aspects of what people need day to day in their life yeah um, i think that's going to be a, a potentially where things start to tip a little bit more um in the, in the future yeah and, and also although it's you're saying it's we've gone more science-based there is science coming out like looking at cognitive loading and, and kind of neural fatigue around having those those long days and you know excessive excessive training which means you don't have that that intensity of training you know in your second day so to speak absolutely yeah i mean that's the whole thing isn't it you know whatever you do today shouldn't impact on what you do tomorrow and and that's where and it's you know the science is brilliant there's so much good stuff it's actually make you know using it in the right way isn't it selecting the you know the bits that are, are going to be pertinent to actually enhancing the performance and that that you know whole idea of the load and what you're trying to do day to day i think is is where it's got a real real role to play in terms of actually guiding guiding the training um, and making it more more specific to what you're actually trying to achieve and, and looking after the players and, and understanding you know the psychosocial aspects and how that relates to the physical aspects and everything with it yeah yeah definitely now this is a question we ask uh, all the guests on the podcast and what what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning uh, I think they look at strength and conditioning as a separate entity from the sport uh, I think they look at it in terms of right. I need to get stronger, or I need to get quicker, or I need to get fitter, and they look at it as a, a silo away from the game. Um, and I think that's that's the big thing. They're, and or they use it as a cushion or a, or a crutch. Like, oh, look, I've got really strong, really fast, really quick, or really big, whatever it is they're trying to achieve. But they've maybe overcommitted so much time to that. They've lost sight of why they needed to do it in the first place for the game. So I think just that aspect of like focus on sport look at what we need for the sport 
and you know the snc stuff is like it's a process in time if you if you invest time in snc and you have a good program good coaches around you, you're going to get those properties are going to develop um and i think that's the key thing is it's, it's too easy for players to become very you know, particularly gym focused because it's the easiest thing to do and easy thing to see the, the results from um and to and to not look at actually the movement aspect of it and how that how that translates to the pitch and and seeing you know strength and conditioning as an athletic process rather than a process that takes place in the gym i think you know we've certainly got some fantastic athletes and you know in in this country and in in rugby and you know if you look at them comparative to other countries train it's probably quite different um not necessarily wrong but with certainly things that we could probably do better to get that actual game transfer i think but i think players particularly if they're not being picked the first thing they do is look at a physical thing they can develop more than a, a technical tactical aspect potentially because it's easier to actually tick off because you know look i've got stronger you speak it stronger i've got stronger it's that measurability yeah no I to- totally agree <laughs> it pains me to see a you know a young player go and just do an extra arms and shoulders session in the gym when they should be working on their you know their skills and their you know tactical awareness and things and i think that's the the role of the SC coaches to understand like you, you mentioned it earlier about you know how you know SNCs and physical properties are really important, but they're there to support them in what they're doing. And that's where SNC coaches need to be astute enough to go, yeah, what we're doing is really important, but it's not the most important thing in terms of you and your profession and actually guiding them in that way. Because, you know, if someone wants to come and do extra work with us, that's brilliant. But we have to then guide them and have be we have to be educated enough to go, yeah, but this is the stuff that's really going to help you get picked. So we can do this stuff. But you also need to go and do X, Y, and Z, which is the actual the key thing that needs to push you on from a rugby perspective or whatever sport it is. And and that's that's the biggest challenge I think for the guys coming into the industry now is that they've come from a much more academic background, whereas much of us older coaches probably started off as coaches first rather than strength and conditioners. Um, and maybe that's the thing that you know we need to look at with the with the development of our young coaches. How do we give them that? holistic coaching uh, opportunity because there isn't that many opportunities for them to coach you know if you come into a professional environment as an intern or whatever you're probably doing a lot of mundane menial jobs and not really getting much actual coaching exposure how do we get them that coaching exposure and that actual understanding of of the demands of the game from a non-purely physical aspect yeah and is, is there anything you've um, you've done or implemented um, to kind of uh, emphasize the the rugby specific nature of what we do you've been doing snc wise to you know whether it's to get more buy-in from the players or help them understand that it's it's to to drive the rugby program not just the snc yeah so we did um you know we, we did some profiling at the, um, the beginning of the year i mean for us it was very much you know we came in and you know we didn't know any of the players um or the one player left from when i was at richmond the first time around um, so it was a whole new group of players and it was like, okay, we need to get some sort of baselines, know what we're dealing with, understand the actual championship in terms of what it looks like, what our strengths are as a squad um, and what we're going to face on a week-to-week basis. So we did some profiling. We then individualised, uh, well, we, we put players in groups based on the properties that we thought they needed to develop, be it you know, strength, size, speed, power, power. Um, so they all train in, in their own individual groups. Uh, and within that, there are extra little things that we need to do. But it's obviously, you know, we're, uh, we see the guys twice a week for an hour 
at, at a time. Uh, we have other sessions in and around the week if they can make it. But you got we've got we've learned to what's the biggest bang for a buck basically. What we're going to do in the short amount of time that's going to have the biggest outcome. Um, so we've invested heavily in that. You know, we've given them the slightly individualized in terms of what they need in their positions. Um, and then we've, you know, we've trained speed the whole year round in, in various forms. So we always do speed Tuesday, Thursday, uh, be it linear or change direction or agility, um, in, with a rugby context as well. So we'd always, our agility, um, or change of direction agility session will always have a, a learning component in terms of trying to put pictures in front of them that they'll come up against in the game and let them solve those problems. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll definitely move from a, a change of direction, which is a bit more prescriptive, where we're looking for a patterning, and then put them into a more chaotic environment, which would be reflective of what they'll face on the, in a game, and see if they can transfer some of those movements into the scenario based on the information they get from it. Um, you know, that's 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 the bit we're trying to do. We've got to up, increase the ability for our guys and girls to be successful from a skill level on the field. And making the right decisions physically will will obviously help that. So as much as we can, you know, any 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 speed work that we do will have a an aspect that is reflected very heavily with what they see in the game. Yeah, no, it sounds good. I like the idea. I mean, there's a lot of debates about periodization and and uh, you know whether it's block periodization or linear or whatever. But more and more, you seem to hear that people are including. You know, an aspect of speed, aspect of power, aspect of strength, but they just vary, yeah. vary the kind of stimulus like you've done with whether it's linear or change of direction. Um, yeah, that's interesting to hear. We we definitely you know try and vary the stimulus in terms of, and that's why the velocity based stuff is so good because you can alter bar speed and load on the bar, which can which changes again what you're trying to try and develop, um, and you know, and informing the athlete of that and why is is the key thing. I think so that they buy into it and they understand it. Um, but yeah, I mean, jumping, jumping is something we do all year round in terms of, you know, we'll, we'll have loaded, unloaded jumps, um, and, you know, biometric based exercises, uh, for particularly for our lateral, uh, components, because I think, you know, that's, it's the easiest thing to teach as well. When you've got limited space, lots of numbers, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty tough to try and go through Olympic lifting with someone who's never Olympic lifted and you've got, You've got very limited time and space, so for us, you know, I think jumping has a much better crossover anyway. Jumping is a huge part of uh, of what we do. Jumping and sprinting. Yeah. No, and again, it goes back to like saying when you've got a short period of time with the guys like you do in the championship, that you you kind of figure out whether it's through trial and error. Obviously, your experience, you've done it before as well. You figure out what those big bang for your buck um, training modalities are, and and you get the most out of them in that short period of time and that's that's what it's all about really isn't it yeah exactly i mean particularly for us you know we're not going to be a by nature of not being full-time um we're not going to be able to you know put 10 15 kilograms on certain players to change us into a big lumpy pack or real heavy ball carrying backs because if they're not going to have the time and their lifestyle is not going to allow them to recover from the training to do that so we have to be you know we can't go oh we want to be a really big team and and smash people in the tight phases because we're not going to have that mass we're not going to, be able to put the extra weight on certain players so it's not really worth trying to do that yeah we'd get them stronger and and we just have to look at playing in a different way which best suits what we do and i think that's if you can't you can't force things into your constraints or your freedom is something we often talk about and the limitations that we have have allowed us to really dial down what's important 
uh, and focus on that. And, you know, that's probably helped us in many ways because we haven't sought out things which weren't time effective or achievable. We thought, well, these are things we can we can achieve with the resources and the time constraints we have. Uh, and we just backed on with it. Yeah. And like we said earlier, oftentimes then in that full time professional environment, you've got you've got too much time and you try and fill it and, and end up just building fatigue as opposed to actually improving things uh, yeah. so it's really really interesting uh again this is a question we ask all the guests um what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach um it's it's really difficult i can't imagine now getting into the industry it's so competitive there's so many people so few jobs so many graduates every year you've really um you've really got to want to do it and and i often i you know, i talk about being for me, coaching is a calling, not a career. It's like I think if, if I wasn't doing this, would I would I still coach? Because yeah, I would coach because I just love coaching. And I think at, you know it's changed over the years. That people are now looking to get into it as a job. Um, and if you want to do it as a job, first off, it's probably not for you. Um, so I think you know they've got to be really, really certain that yeah, this is what I want to do because it's going to be tough. At, for long periods of the uh, of the early stages and and later on, there aren't that many really wealthy uh, S and C coaches in professional sport. Um, so you're not going to make a shed load of money. You've got to actually want to do it. Um, and I think that's that's the key thing. Is like, are you actually committed to this as a as something that makes you as a human being? This is something you need to do is actually help develop and work with other people. If you're looking to, you know, you you know, I've interviewed lots of people in various roles, and they go, oh, yeah, I want to be a first team S and C head of S and C in two years, and you're like, okay, <laughs> this is this is not for you because you 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 haven't got your eyes wide open at all, and you've just got to want to coach people and think, go and seek out opportunities to coach. The best coaching I've ever done has been in the lowest levels of of rugby or sport or, or other sports where you, you've got so many things to deal with that if you can cope in those scenarios, once you turn up at a professional sports ground where you've got kit men washing kit, people washing cones, laying them out for you, you know, doing all the supplements, washing them up for you, you know, it's easy. You know, if you can cope with where you've got to do all that stuff, you're the kit man, you're the one making sure you're seeking out as much as you can to help the guys perform across the whole spectrum of the of the sport, not just your area, that's when you that's when you learn. And I think that would be the key thing is like drop down, go and work for, a, you know, if you're an S&T coach, volunteer at your local level nine rugby club or whatever it is, and actually go and try and run a speed session or a warm up for 70 players. You know, brilliant. we have our interns uh, who are working with us, fantastic. And, you know, we watch and they'll be taking a warm up with eight players on their own. It's like, that's an amazing coaching opportunity, isn't it? You're learning now to deal with 80 people and you're getting them better at some speed mechanics and preparing them for the session. And, and that's what they need to do. You just need to go and coach as, as often as you can and seek out seek out people. Most people in who you know who are working in S&C have been through that and they'll be happy to help. They'll give you advice if you approach them in the right way and, and demonstrate you're committed to it, I think. Yeah, great advice. Um, now, tell us a bit about um, your work with Arite Performance and and also your Lyceums that you've been putting on. Yeah, so um, so Tom Tom worked with at Wasp on Faro, who's um, worked with the Sevens as well. Um, so he's a super smart human being, um, an incredible philosophical outlook on life, and probably one of the smartest blokes you'll ever come across. So he um, he set up Arite Performance um, three or four years ago. 
Uh, and when I when I left Wasp, we talked about uh, when we were at Wasp, we talked about various things we could like you know do together and in the future. And the sort of cards just fell in place with, with me leaving when I did. And an opportunity was coming up at Richmond, and we just discussed it. I said, well, why don't we just try and do it together? And from there, sort of Rite sort of grew out of that uh, in its sort of current form. Um, and you know, we're both big learners, and we talked about the uh, the educational aspect, how some some of the S&C training, provision, and learning stuff out there didn't really didn't really sit with us in terms of what we wanted to see or what we wanted to to learn about or the people we wanted to engage with. So we thought oh, we'll just try and do a few things on our own. Uh, we got very fortunate, you know. Um, Halsey did the first one for us with Clive Brewer, which was like interesting in terms of beyond belief looking at we talked about periodization and planning and, and what is it and does it exist and all that and looking at the baseball model with Clive was fantastic um and you know how how's he put together the, the Olympic program so you know that was where where it stemmed from um and then from there we you know we stalked a few people um basically found out when they're in the country and rode the rode a bit of luck and just we just you know we were very just see what happens in terms of you know oh, we'll ask them see what happened you know and we got dan uh dan path to do to do ours we've got carla butticelli which was again fantastic and alexander navas when they were over for the world champs like the cuban how their jumps team work is like wow that's something you should definitely you know, investigate um so tom had been over to cuba and um had that connection so that was great to get them and we just we just asked people um and the whole format is very much it's not presentations there's no accreditation from it you haven't got to attend to get points it's literally like keep it as cheap as we can because we want to hear these people speak um and we want to get as many people in the room as possible to make it a really worthwhile learning experience so you know you know getting down path was awesome and then we've got buddy morris on the back of that um and you know that's that's the sort of caliber of coaches that we think we want to learn from and um yeah it's been pretty pretty cool when you, you're sitting in the room and you see 70 other coaches who are premiership you know head of national teams are there like going well they've come to an event that we've put on and we've got Dan Paff and Buddy Murray standing at the front it's pretty pretty mind-blowing so yeah that's 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 where that sort of sprung out of our own desire to to listen to those guys and make those connections so we've got a few things lined up um for later on in the year um just need to tie a few loose ends up so that'll be be back out there again and you know just want to develop a community where people can come and talk so the, the evenings are very informal the guys will talk might be 40 minutes you know we didn't stop buddy morris because he just kept going so it was like we just <laughs> let him talk because that was just awesome i think he did about 90 minutes before we thought that we might have to stop you know just have a little chat and the idea is that you get you get to talk with the other guys in the room with long breaks so you can chat with the other snc's and physios or coaches whoever's there and then we just sit around in a circle and we just talk, you know, everyone can put their opinion forward. You guys who might be just doing their first year of coaching or might be first year of university with guys who've, you know, been to Olympics, won national titles, won World Cups or whatever. And it's just a really cool way of, of meeting people and, and seeing that everyone's problems are probably fairly similar. Everyone's experiencing the same thing. And it's quite a nice sort of cleansing, I think, for, for S&C coaches. Yeah, it sounds awesome. We had um, Nick Grantham on the podcast a while back, and and we were sort of saying about the difficulties of being able to go on CPD events. You know, when you're working week in week out in in rugby, and he, and he was said, you know, just 
invite people in yourselves and, and obviously you've done that and it's it's yeah. a great opportunity for people to to network with coaches of that kind of experience um sounds awesome and of course yeah. let, let's know when you've got one dialed in and you you know when your next one yeah, is and we'll, we'll share uh, it with we'll our social media we'll definitely do that and there's some good guys doing some some good stuff around you know some of the football clubs are doing some really good little um small events as well i think that's the way it's gonna go people are gonna try and make these little micro events where people can share stuff so that's that's really um i think really positive for us as a as a as a as, a, as an industry let's yeah. say you know to have that ability to share and and make it a bit more open and not quite so constrained yeah definitely and um just to just to wrap up Ian, can you tell us a little bit more about where people can sort of learn more about you yes yeah, so uh you can get us at um on twitter i think it's ian underscore taplin i think that's me and um in a, at arite performance hq with an underscore between the arite and performance and then just on the website uh, uh um that's on there now we've got our blogs going and bits and pieces so we're starting to come alive on the on the social media and the web stuff now so we've got our got ourselves a bit sorted out and hopefully some more stuff will come out and we can uh, share some of the mistakes and learnings that we've had yeah cool look look forward to it and of course we'll share all those links on the show notes um but yeah. ian thank you very much for your time it's been um like really good chatting to you um probably could have gone longer but um <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there um but you know, love to have you back on again and uh and or tom as well um yeah. if he is you know the most intelligent man you've ever met so yeah, uh, no, be, be great to have him <laughs> too. no definitely i'm sure tom would love to come on cool cheers Ian. thanks very much Cheers, Jamie. Take care. Lovely stuff. Thank you, Ian. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. And for you guys out there, please check out uh, Arite Performance and their Lyceums. I'm sure uh, that they've got a good one coming up um, and it'll be well worth going on. I'd love to see uh, Buddy Morris speak uh, and maybe he's a good guy to get on the podcast. On that note, guys, if there's anyone you'd like us to interview, please get in touch. Um, make suggestions of, of potential guests and any questions you want answered on the podcast. That's what it's all about, giving you information and helping you improve your performance or performance of your uh, athletes and players. So please get in touch. And, of course, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, or, of course, iTunes, and give us a five-star review. Uh, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com and on uh, social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, and there are more podcasts on the way. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.